Father, we do just come before you thinking of those that are incapacitated in one way or another through health and challenges at this time. We just pray for that, that measure of your grace and your healing upon them, that they would know your presence even in the midst of weakness, even in the midst of suffering, and uh, we seek your hand for the future direction. Father, we just come to you that you would speak your word now to us, that you would help us to have ears to hear and, as uh, Kerry said before, eyes to see the things that you see and, and a heart to respond in the ways that you would have us respond, that we might bear witness to the glory of your name. Amen. We're in a series, uh, today's title is uh, called Driven by Love, and we're in a series in First and Second Thessalonians that I've titled Living in Hope, uh, particularly looks towards the second coming, and of course we're reminded of those events with the events in Israel, uh, and many earthquakes around the world, and all of those things. In fact, I saw a report of three earthquakes this morning, including a 6.7 in Papua New Guinea, so I haven't heard any more about that, but... Uh, uh, yeah. Narelle's nodding, so she may have heard, but yeah. So uh, these things are coming. And uh, we're going to turn to First Thessalonians chapter 2, and we're in the second part of this uh, series of verses in verses 1 to 12, where he, he deals with both the motives and the, the manner in which he uh, uh, served the Thessalonian church when they brought the gospel to them. But we prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. For you recall, brethren, our labour and hardship how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave toward you, believers. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. As I've been reflecting on this for the last uh, uh, week, it's really spoken greatly to me, but <laughs> I came across, I don't know whether you can see it well enough, <coughs> Charlie Brown and Lucy having a conversation. And Lucy says, everywhere you go, you seem to run into phonies. Now, by the way, for the contemporary generation, that doesn't mean people on their mobile phones. <laughs> it means fakes, okay? Uh, the people you think are sincere usually turn out not to be, and the people you think aren't sincere usually turn out to be sincere. The question is, how do you tell the phonies from the realies? And Charlie Brown's left scratching his head saying, the reallys? 
How do you do that indeed? Well, Jesus said in John 13, 35, by this, all men know that you are my disciples. And notice this next verse, two letters, if you have love for one another. Sometimes what goes on in the life of churches does more damage to the witness of the gospel. Where love fails when it shouldn't. Sometimes that may be because of unsaved within the church, but sometimes even the saved can act in carnal and fleshly ways. And we need to be reminded of it. That's why we read earlier, but now faith, hope, love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. In 1 Thessalonians 2, 1 to 12, Paul is expanding... uh, Paul is expanding on what he said in summary form in chapter 1, verse 5. He says, uh, the second part of the verse, just as you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. While they were in Thessalonica, or Thessalonica, he and his fellow missionaries displayed all the traits of authentic ministers of the gospel. John Stott observes that in 1 Thessalonians 2 and 3, more than perhaps anywhere else in his letter, Paul, letters, Paul discloses his mind, expresses his emotions, and bears his soul. We read before, last week in uh, verse 6, Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ we might have asserted our authority. And these verses are coming off the back of that. Warren Wiersbe notes that as an apostle, Paul was a man of authority, but he always used his authority in love. Now, he wasn't always that way, was he? As a zealous Pharisee, he hated the way. He hated the believers of the way that that understood Jesus as the Messiah. But God confronted him and totally turned his life around so that he became an apostle, a messenger of the love of Christ. And he, 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 know, he, he could be strong. He could be fiery. And we see the progression in his living where he starts out saying, I, Paul, uh, 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 least of all the apostles, I, Paul, uh, least of all the saints, and then I, Paul, chiefest of sinners. Okay, we see that that humbling and progression in his life. But um, he demonstrated gentle behavior and selfless love in guiding others and modeling a godly life. And to demonstrate or remind the Thessalonian believers of this, Paul uses two metaphors to contrast between those who are not genuine, as we looked at last week, and the evidence of their genuineness revealed by their conduct. The two metaphors are a touching image, one like a mother, but not just any mother, a nursing mother. It's a picture of gentleness. And one like a father. So let's look at the first, gentle like a nursing mother. This is such a tender picture. Positively, he stresses their sincerity and selfless and profound devotion toward the Thessalonian believers, extending beyond the call of duty. In contrast to the, uh, to the negative characteristics of false ministry, we looked at those last week, flattering speech, 
pretext for greed, seeking glory for men, but instead he comes gentle and tenderly cares with fond affection and giving of their own lives because they were very dear to them. We're going to look at those as we go through the verses. Verse 7, but we prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. He says, we proved. You see, the evidence is in their memories. They can recall back what they were like. Now, there is a textual problem here. Should it be, and if you're reading other translations, you may pick it up. Most translations have gone with the word gentle. Uh, But uh, should it be gentle or babes or infants? The Greek word used here varies in ancient manuscripts, and it varies by one letter. Uh, The word is either nepios or epios. Epios means gentle. Nepios means a a babe or an infant. (laughs) Um, If Paul intended to use the term nepios, which there does seem to be some um, uh, certainly manuscript evidence for, then he is saying that he and his co-workers behaved like infants among the the Thessalonians. That that is as innocence. Uh, and uh, in other words they were guileless and undemanding most manuscripts do support that variation but it's not reflected in most translations Uh, the New English translation puts it this way instead we became like little children among you and then a comma and like a nursing mother caring for her own children um There's nothing quite so tender as the relationship between her mother and newborn child. Uh, Another has it like this one, sorry. Instead, we were like young children among you, just as a nursing mother cares for her children. Uh, I think one of the reasons that most translations have gone with the gentle, even where the manuscript they were translated from says nepios or infant, uh, is because... It is one metaphor instead of two in that verse, if you, if you understand it that way. And it's still, either way, it's a picture of gentleness. You get the, the sort of picture. And, and the word gentle means uh, the goal is to raise spiritual infants to maturity. Paul Apple says, this is not a cattle drive where you are cracking the whip and hurting some dumb animals. <laughs> Some people treat discipleship making like that, but it's not Paul's way. Uh, You know, the picture of a mother and a newborn is a picture of trust and bonding. You have the security of the vulnerable newborn that is receiving affection and and love and attention from a caring mother. Uh, We even see a, a similar pattern among wildlife. Yeah, even the most ferocious of wild animals, the mother with her, her young, is incredibly endearing to watch. Uh, the, the tender care that goes on. The word for nursing means to nourish, feed or nurture. Warren Wearsby notes that a nursing child can become ill through a reaction to something the mother has eaten. The Christian who is feeding others must be careful not to feed on the wrong things himself. And he goes on to say, the babes in Christ sensed his tender loving care as he nurtured them. He was indeed like a loving mother who cared for her children. 
It takes time and energy to care for children. Paul did not turn his convicts over to babysitters. He made sacrifices and imparts his own life to the child. As W.A. Criswell says, Paul did, didn't feed on them. He, fed them, he fed them. The word tenderly, cares or cherishes, means to heat, to soften by heat, to keep warm as of birds covering their young with their feathers. You see how she's, she's keeping her chicks warm? What do you call little ducks? Um, ducklings, that's the word. As John Stott notes, it's a lovely thing that a man as tough and masculine as the Apostle Paul should have used this feminine metaphor. Some Christian leaders become both self-centred and autocratic. The more their authority is challenged, the more they assert it. In our pastoral ministry, we all need to cultivate more of the gentleness, love and self-sacrifice of a mother. You notice in verse 8, she's affectionate, having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because uh, you became very dear to us. Verse 8 is a beautiful statement of the importance of loving those to whom we witness. As Ray Stedman says, literally it means a yearning, a longing for you. You see, it means to long for someone passionately and earnestly and being linked to a mother's love is intended here to an expression, an affection so deep and compelling as to be unsurpassed. So he says, we were well pleased. The love of Paul and his companions is evident for genuine love finds expression in giving to people, not only to their spiritual needs, which are primary, but also to their physical needs. This is what we're looking at with compassion. It's reaching to both and caring, and you saw the touch that it made with that mother in the Philippines. And he said we gave uh, not only the gospel, but we gave our own lives. And the word here in the Greek is suke, which means soul. They shared not only the gospel of God, but their own souls because they loved the Thessalonians so much. John Piper says, when you share your soul, you let a person in to see what is really there. You do not conceal your true feelings about things. A shared soul is a shared passion or a shared fear or a shared guilt or a shared longing or a shared joy. Where the gospel flourishes, people share their own souls, their joy, guilt, fear, longing and passion. You know, sometimes we walk around with guarded hearts, cutting off our souls from sharing openly and trustingly, but not Paul. In Acts 20, 24, he says, But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. In 2 Corinthians 12, 5, he says, I will most gladly spend and be expended for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? In Philippians 2.17, but if, even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. Bruce Hurt asks a pertinent question. 
How much do you care? Important question, isn't it? How much do you care? He says it has been well said that people don't know how much you know, care how much you know, until they know how much you care. And Paul gave both his care and his knowledge, and we who desire to make disciples of all the nations should do no less. Love for people is key. You want to see them succeed. Parents invest everything in trying to guide their children along the path of success, at least a caring parent does. You, you want to be with them, to spend time with them. It hurts when you're apart. Mothers hate to see their children located in distant places. The, the bond sort of is stretched. The Apostle Paul was always making plans to go back and revisit these dear believers. Um, and, and you notice it was because you have become very dear to us. This, this is a personal interaction. In Philippians 4.1, he says to the Philippian believers, Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. That's the kind of relationship, that care, that, that, that motherly bond of affection has for those we minister to and with. Verse 9. He was sacrificial. Now, some, some uh, commentators split this and put it with the fatherly role, but it works both ways, and I, I think it most naturally fits here with verses 7 to 9. For you, brethren, our labour and hard... For you recall, brethren, our labour and hardship, how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Uh, a word went missing. Paul's love was shown by his long hours of manual labour. They worked hard and endured hardships so they would not be a burden to anyone while preaching the gospel of God. Although Paul had the right to receive financial support from the people he taught, he supported himself as a tent maker, as you read in Acts 18.3, so that he wouldn't be a burden to the new Thessalonian believers. Robert Thomas, Dr. Robert Thomas says this toil translated labour emphasizes the fatigue they occurred in expending themselves. While hardship highlights external difficulties encountered in the process. And what you get is the, is the opposite of a life of comfort. You know one of the great uh, temptations for the church in the West is just to pursue a life of comfort and ease and, you know... She'll be right, we're fine. <laughs> but not Paul. Uh, he's working with his whole heart to please his master, not just putting on a show some of the time. And so the second picture is guiding like a father in verses 10 to 12. Hebert uh, writes regarding the nursing mother and exhorting father that the former similarly stresses the tenderness of the missionaries dealing with their converts. The simile of the father, or metaphor of the father, shows the sterner aspect of their love for their children. But notice first, he comes and, and, and pulls out his conditions. You are witnesses, so is God. How devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave toward you believers. Why does he include two witnesses? You are 
and so is God. We've got to understand that under Old Testament law, it took two or more witnesses to verify truth. And here Paul calls on both the Thessalonians and God as the witnesses to affirm his holy conduct in the ministry. They were holy, righteous and blameless in their conduct towards the believers and God was their witness. In some, Paul and his team, by the grace of God working through them, imitated the character of the holy God as they sought to minister in his name. Can you think of this word? Yeah, one day we will stand and be presented blameless before him, but what a work has to be done before, <laughs> before we get to that place. But Paul can say, we, we, we served you blamelessly. His, his life is of such a purity that none can find anything in it with which to find fault. That doesn't mean he didn't get criticism. He got plenty of that. But there was no substantive ground on which they could take a legal case. Peter says in 1 Peter 3.16, and we looked at that recently as well, and keep a good conscience so that the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. In other words, they have nothing to hang a case on. John MacArthur notes that a father's responsibility is to set the standard of integrity in, in the family. That's a spiritual leader's responsibility. Don't abdicate it, fathers. Don't, don't give it over to wives. The wife plays a, a vital and important role in training children, but you've got a, an equally important and vital role, is to model integrity for the children to follow after. Um, before God devout, before God and man upright, before man blameless, that's a spiritual father, that's how we behave toward you believers is what Paul's saying. Paul didn't have to say, please don't look at my life, look to Jesus. <laughs> you know, we do that sometimes, or we excuse our failings and say, well, don't look to me, but look to Jesus. He didn't have to do that. Paul wanted people to look to Jesus, but he could also tell them to look at his life because the power of Jesus was real in his life. You see, our kids look to see, are we genuine? Do we, do we say one thing and do another? Or do what we do is consistent with, with what we say? And, and, and that's what Paul could say before them. And look at the role he was guiding Verse 11, just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father with his own children. Paul considered himself to be a spiritual father to those he led to Christ. He wasn't about a numbers game. He wasn't about getting scalps on, you know, or, or, or notches on his gun like you see in westerns. He cared for the people he was sharing the gospel with. They mattered to him. They were not just a number that in his great evangelistic... And sometimes you come across evangelists and you, you wonder, you hear great numbers. But what happened to the follow-through? Paul never witnessed without seeking to establish and pass on and revisit and encourage and send others to look after and encourage. That's what it was like. Paul exhorted the Thessalonians by modelling gentle and nurturing behaviour and by correcting them used by using loving words and guidance. Paul Apple notes four wrong models, and that's the abusive father, 
the authoritarian father, the administrative father, and the absentee father. But Paul uses three words to describe his fatherly relationship with the Thessalonians. Now, the word exhorting is parakaleo. It means to come alongside, literally to call one alongside, to call someone to yourself, to call for or to summon. You'd be familiar with the word if you know the name of the Holy Spirit the par- in Greek, the paraclete, the one who comes alongside. And Paul is speaking of coming alongside his own children for the purpose of aiding, directing, and instructing wisely in their growth in Christian character and conduct. And dads, by the way, are you doing that? Are you coming alongside, seeking to nurture their walk with the Lord, their understanding of the gospel, their growth, growing into maturity? Ken Hughes gives this illustration. He says, I, I, I see this exemplified every time my church has a roller skating party. Spiritual lesson from a roller skating party? Listen. And the parents put their little ones on skates for the first time. We've all been there, done that. Mum and dad skate with their child, holding on to his or her hands, sometimes with the child's feet on the ground and sometimes in the air. But all the time, the parents are alongside, encouraging exhortation is a wonderful gift and we are to place it at Christ's feet and be willing to be worn out in its use. The second word is imploring. Uh, The third word is uh, encouraging is to relate near, encourage, console, to speak kindly or soothingly so as to comfort or pacify, is to encourage in the sense of comfort and consolation which is critical in assisting spiritual growth because of the obstacles and failures Christians can experience. You know, your kid has a setback. Do you just let them stay there? Or do you help them get up and move forward again? And the third word is imploring, and it's from the word maturamai, which means to witness, and in its original sense meant to summon to witness, and thus conveys the idea of testifying in affirmation or exhortation, to solemnly charge, adjure, beseech. It's to beg earnestly or even desperately. Interestingly, the English word implore is from the Latin implorare, meaning to invoke with tears, with a suggestion of greater urgency or anguished appeal. Just urging them uh, to, to come on or to correct something. I know sometimes uh, when you have to correct someone in, 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 in their walk's gone astray, it brings tears <laughs> before they're prepared to let go and turn back. That's, that's the picture of this imploring. And in verse 12, we get to the purpose for it all. I've titled an example, I wasn't quite happy with the wording, but so that you would walk. So that always says what the purpose is. So that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Walk refers to the Christian life and and conduct. They encourage, comfort and urge them to live in a way that is worthy of God who calls them into his kingdom and glory. 
Paul's desires for believers to walk worthy runs as a common thread throughout his epistles. Romans 6, 4, Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so too we might walk in newness of life. It's a different life. It's a different way. Ephesians 4.1, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Very similar to our verse here. Ephesians 5.2, And walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. That's what we did around remembering around the Lord's table. Ephesians 5.8, For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the world. Walk as children of light. And Ephesians 5.15, Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. And it begs the question, how are you walking? <laughs> how is your walk with the Lord? Are you walking with the Lord? Such a walk should reflect the character of God and bring honour to God. To walk in Christ is to live a life patterned after his supernatural life as one is strengthened and empowered by his Holy Spirit. Ray Steadman notes, I, I like that figure because a walk, of course, merely consists of two simple steps repeated over and over again. It's not a complicated thing. In the same way, the Christian life is a matter of taking two steps, one step after another. Then you are beginning to walk. In fact, D.L. Moody put it this way, every Bible should be bound in shoe leather. Do you get that? Every Bible should be bound in because you're walking. And George MacDonald says, God will help us when we cannot walk. And he will help us when we find it hard to walk. But he will, cannot help us if we will not walk. You see, Paul was driven by both, as we looked at last week, and driven by integrity. But this week, driven by love. He was driven by both integrity and love. Paul Apple notes that Paul was able to motivate Christian conduct not by means of his authority, but by means of his relationship to his young disciples. He genuinely and personally cared for each one of them and they knew that and responded to his exhortations. If you want to follow a spiritual leader who imitates Paul as he imitated Christ, someone has written this, then follow someone who is gentle and tender and nurturing and unselfish who genuinely loves you and sacrificially imparts to you both the truth of God's word and his own life as well and will guide and discipline you in the Lord as a godly loving father does. We ought to emulate these principles in our own lives. Growing in faith and in commitment to living godly lives characterised by love guidance and selflessness. Let's come before the Lord in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, these are qualities we, we admire that when we see them in another, but Lord, make them a part of us, that we would not just be receivers, but that we would be givers 
not only sharing the good news of the gospel, but sharing sacrificially and and, and compassionately uh, and caringly from our own hearts because we love, because we know the love of Christ that has been shed abroad in our hearts and because we are not superior to those who do not know you or those who are behind us in their walk with you, but because we care, because you touched us with your love. And your goal is that we might know the fullness of it, and to live by it, and as we sang earlier, to shine, Jesus, shine.